The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow our Facebook page and visit shadygrovepca.org. Thank you, Mike. Man of many talents. It's beautiful. We're looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, 118 through chapter 2, verse 3. Let's give attention to God's living and abiding word. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy, and all slander, like newborn infants, Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We pray for us. Father, we need your help. These are special words. They're hard words. We pray that, Lord, we would understand, and not only understand, but that um, it would sink down deep into the crevices of our heart to the bottom of our hearts where there's still much unbelief. We pray that our faith and our hope would cause us to grow in love as the body. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to zoom in on verse 23. We've looked at 1 Peter a little bit, and I, I've jumped over a few of these passages. It's interesting. Um, when you think of being born again, what passage of scripture would you tend to think of? I mean, if you know your Bible, you think, well, John 3, that's the passage. Well, did you recognize that this is actually a big theme in this chapter? This is how Peter begins back in verse 3. He's reminding us that you've been born again to a living hope, verse 3, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You've been born again. So he's writing these believers, these elect exiles, these people that have been dispersed and these Gentile Christians and he's reminding them and they're facing difficult times and grievous trials and remind them, rejoice, you're children of God. But he's reminding them, you've been born again. This is something that God has done. And he comes back to it again in verse 23 where he says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. 
And so what we have here is we have two kind of word pictures or imagery in the text that I just read. You have born again, and then you get to chapter 2, verse 2, and you get like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. And I used to read that thinking, oh, I'm to act like a newborn infant. I'm to long for the pure spiritual milk. Long is an imperative. It's a command. Like newborn infants, command. You are to crave the word of God like this child. Not, not like by example, but this is a command to us. So there's only two commands in this text. The two commands, love one another, long for the pure spiritual milk. And they, they go hand in hand. We'll, we'll see the connection. But you have two imageries being portrayed to us. We have born again, okay? So there's out the birth canal, and then you've got newborn infants. Okay, that's the imagery of this birth child now that's starting to grow. And how does the child grow? The idea here is that we long for, we need this, this milk of God's word to grow. That's, that is how we grow. And so what Peter's describing in this, in this chapter is how did we get here? How did we get here? And then how do we grow up now in salvation? And then what is that going to look like? And the how we got here is God. God does something that man cannot do. We cannot give birth to ourselves. That's pretty self-obvious, isn't it? The Bible tells us some hard things about ourselves, that the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He can't even receive them. I mean, Jesus just says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from the kingdom of heaven. Just, you know, lines like you read over. We can receive nothing. And no man comes to the Father unless God draws him or the Spirit draws him. The Bible says we're things like we're dead in trespasses and sins, that nobody seeks God. No, not one. No one's righteous. Our best works that we've ever done, the Bible says, are filthy rags. The Bible says before and after the flood that every inclination of the thoughts of man's heart is only evil all the time. And then the reflection verses in our, you know, bulletin this morning from Titus 3 just said we were hated and hating one another. That's how we lived before we came to Jesus. Before regeneration came about, we were just hated people and hate, hating one another. And Jesus says nobody can even see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. We're just blind to these spiritual realities. And so Peter is saying, though, something's happened. You've been born again. Have you been born again? Something that we can pray for God to do in our hearts. But has he awakened you to love his word and to love his people? The Holy Spirit, you see, is doing something here. And as he's describing in this text, he's saying that through him, verse 21, we are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. God has done something by his spirit to connect us to Jesus. And when Jesus is raised, we've become now believers. We believe in what he has done. He died for our sins, was raised for our justification. And now he says your faith and hope are in God. 
whenever you see those two in Scripture, you're kind of always looking for the third. Where's the triad? You know, okay, we got faith and hope. Where's the love? Well, that's coming in the next verse because the Holy Spirit doesn't regenerate you and give you faith and hope without completing the triad. The Holy Spirit begins this work in us. In verse 22, he says, having purified your souls, and interestingly, that's passive in the original language in Greek, something's being done in you or to you. It's called regeneration. It's being born again. And as the Holy Spirit does this through the obedience of faith, it's interesting, God doesn't believe for us. He doesn't repent for us. We're commanded to do those things, but we do those as he enables us to do it, just as the blind man couldn't see by himself and Lazarus couldn't raise himself and the, the man who couldn't, you know, couldn't get up and you know, he gets up and carries his mat and goes home. How did any of those things happen? Because Jesus told him, pick up your mat. Jesus said, come forth, and Lazarus came forth. And he says to the blind man, you know, enables him to see. God does things that we can't do, and he's the one who gives birth, and so we give him the glory for that. And so regeneration is this work of the Spirit where he changes us from kingdom to kingdom, the kingdom of, of Satan and the kingdom of this cruel and terrible master, this master of sin, and this master ultimately being the devil, and he's able to bring people out of that to a new Lord, to a new master, to a new kingdom. And then he begins to do something. He begins to work in their hearts so that they begin to love one another. For this, what he says now is now that he's done this work by your obedience to the truth. And he's reminding them, this word obedience is kind of a big word in the first chapter. I mean, it begins at the very first verse 2. You see what God does according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. God's the one who chooses his people, they're sanctified by the Spirit, and they're sanctified for obedience to Jesus. He sprinkles them with his blood. And then in verse 14, we're called now, we're obedient children. We've changed kingdoms. We're no longer children of wrath. Now we've changed kingdoms as obedient children. And so now he's saying you become obedient to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. And that's a theme that gets repeated a couple times in 1 Peter as well. 3, 8, for example. Um, what is this idea that, you know, the Spirit now works in us so that now we begin to love our brothers and sisters whom we formerly were just hateful and hating one another. And now he says we've been brought to him for this sincere, and this idea of sincere brotherly love is just genuine we have this genuine love for people. It's not hi hypocritical. You know, as Romans 12, 9 just says, love must be sincere, must be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hate what is good. But, and then it says, be devoted to one another or outdo one another in brotherly affection. And this idea of brotherly affection is this Philadelphia is where we get the, the word in the, in the original language of um, this brotherly love. And now we as the church are to love one another earnestly. Or probably another way to translate it would be love one another continuously. It doesn't say love the people that you like. Love the people that agree with you politically. Love the people that voted the same way as you. Love the people that won't unfriend you on Facebook. You know, love one another continually. 
It is the people that disagree with, the people that you come to different convictions where you're going to land on some difficult things in life. If different conscience issues when it comes to all matters, whether it's smoking cigars or drinking a beer or any type of Christian liberty, what movie you're going to watch, people are going to come to different places on that. And we're just called to love one another continuously, earnestly, from this pure heart. This is what we've been purified by Jesus. Because what he's reminding us is that he has, who we are in Jesus, if you go back to the beginning, is he redeemed you with his precious blood. Verse 18, look what he's done. He's now brought you to himself, redeemed you with precious blood. And this blood is more precious than, than gold or silver. And then he says, you've been born again by this imperishable word. Come back to that in a second. And now that we're, we're now, wait a minute, we're all family. If we've been made right vertically, we have this relationship with the heavenly father. We have the same father. We have the same elder brother. He's now reminding the church, hey, love one another. And this is what it's going to look like because he's going to lay it out in the rest of the book. He's going to go into how we're to love the people in government. That's chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Okay, this is what it's going to look like. Honor everyone. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Then how you're to treat your employer. How are you to treat them? Well, that's verses 18 to 23. And then how you're to love your spouse. Well, that's chapter 3, 1 to 7. And then he sums it up again and comes back to it and says, okay, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Love one another. And so... This is what we've been born again into is now all of a sudden the change that when God changes his people, he changes them in their affections of how they love one another. And this is kind of like one of the, the hallmark signs where, you know, in 1 John where it just comes back to test yourself. The main, one of the main tests in 1 John, whether you're a, children, a child of God or not, is do you love one another? Do you love the brothers? Do you love your brothers and sisters? Because they went out from us because they were not of us. If they were of us, they would have remained with us. But there's some that just want to say, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I, I don't like this. And there's a lot of this cancel culture that's going on today. I was thinking this week of the passage where Mary comes and she anoints Jesus' feet before he goes to the cross. And there's a couple of accounts of this. And she is scolded for it. If you remember, Judas is the one who says, why this waste? This could have been, this could have been used and, and this money you know, for this could have been sold and given to the poor. But then you read in one of the other accounts and it says some of them scolded her. And it says that it wasn't just Judas. It was several of the disciples ganged up on her and treated her badly. And we could say, boy, this is a toxic environment. This is misogynistic. This is all male abusive power. This is one woman in front of all these men and she's being made to look terrible. But thankfully, Jesus comes to the rescue and rebukes the disciples and says, this, God, this story will be told about her when the gospel's preached. Well, do you see people just saying, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm done with the church. If Judas is going to treat her like that, I'm out. If this is how Christians treat women, I'm out of here. 
I'm done with this. What, what, do, what do we see? No, they just, they got their eyes fixed on Jesus. They love Jesus. We're all in process. This is like, you know, it's like we're all in this club together that we're all a mess. We're all budding musicians that are trying to learn how to play Bach, and it doesn't mean, well, I'm gonna flush Bach because somebody missed some notes over here. We still like Bach and Mozart, but none of us plays it perfectly. And so, and some of us play it pretty badly sometimes. But that doesn't mean that you flush the church. Thankfully, the disciples didn't do that, even though Judas turned out to be bad news. And even though they made mistakes along the way as the body, they grew up together in Jesus. And Peter was one of the main culprits of the, in his impulsivity. And he is relentless in this book about love your brothers, love one another, love one another. Because this is what God does by his word. And so what happens is, he says, you've been born again, not a perishable seed. And the idea is that, you know, he's talking about your, your forefathers and things that have been passed down to you, perishable things. This idea, look, all this stuff of where God has rescued you from, this imperishable seed, look at the word of God and what it's doing in this passage. It's by the word of God that he changes us. So he describes the word of God as imperishable, it's an imperishable seed. It's described as a living and abiding word. Then he goes on to describe us as flesh like grass and, and, and its glory is just, you know, it just is very, very short-lived. I mean, our glory as humanity, we're just like grass. I mean, LeBron is just holding on. He's just hoping that he can play with Bronny. He's just, he just wants to play with his son. If I can just hang on as, a, as an NBA player and his career's just starting to struggle and the Lakers are starting to struggle and this is the, you know, is he the goat or is it MJ, you know? But their glory is real short-lived. Like if you want to see Michael, you better go to YouTube because he's not playing anymore. And LeBron will soon not be playing. Like your best glory is going to be very, very short-lived. All flesh like grass. Glory, flower of grass. How long does that last? How long do those flowers last when you bring them home? You know, a good week, maybe? Maybe two weeks? Half a week? Not long. Our glory is real short-lived. The word of the Lord, though, abides forever. I mean, you could see that Peter is meditating. He's got a scroll of Isaiah 40 in front of him, and he's got a scroll of Psalm 34, and he's saying, if you've tasted that the Lord is good, Psalm 40, 34, 8, and Isaiah 48, he's been meditating on these verses. He's quoting them. And he's saying, this word is the good news that was preached to you. That it's the word that we're to receive with meekness, we're told, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. He said, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above the Father of lights, and of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. So don't think you had anything to do with it. Every good and perfect gift from above, don't be deceived. Of his own will, he brings us forth by the word of truth. It's the word of God. It says it's the perishable seed, which is the Holy Spirit, but through the living and abiding word of God. How does God save his people? Always through the word of God. And this word doesn't return void. It's this powerful work in us. And so it's like the fuel to your engine, to your car. If you have a car 
unless you have an electric car now, but you know, then you've got to plug it in. But the idea is, the imagery is the word of God now. This is what birthed you. And now you need to, you need to long for this word. Otherwise, the, 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 the light's going to come on. Low fuel light. And you'll run out of gas. And then what will happen is you'll start to mount up with some malice, some deceit and hypocrisy and slander. And you'll start to, you know, the, the, the crud will start mounting up. And we need the word of God so that we can grow up into salvation and put away all that other stuff. The malice, the evil, the evil thoughts towards people, to be deceitful towards people. The hypocrisy where we hold people to a standard that we, we don't even hold to ourselves. We hold these people to these hard standards. But we wouldn't do that on ourselves. And then slander is just talking bad about people. So he's saying, put all that away. Now we're to love one another because now this word is at work in us. And this word, it's like, it's like every spring in our, in our neighborhood, we have these oak trees, particularly the white oaks, as they start to you know, sprout up with new fruit, what happens? For some reason, we have to rake leaves or run the blower in the spring. I thought you're supposed to rake in the fall. Well, there's still some dead growth on the trees, and when the new growth starts to give birth to the new fruit, it pushes out the dead. And they, you know, then out falls to the ground, and you've got to come and rake some more in the spring because the new growth is coming. And that's what's happening here is as you long for the word, as you love the word, and I hope for you that you are listening to the word. It says, long for this, this pure spiritual milk. That means go to the source. Go to the pure milk. You know, John, John Piper might be good. John Bunyan might be good. How about Second John? How about Third John? How about First John? How about Gospel of John? Like, you know, sometimes we're all into listening to the preachers or the Word. And maybe you say, well, you know, I'm not great at reading it. Well, do you listen to it? I really find some great encouragement just going down the road and sometimes my daily Bible reading, I'm just listening to it. Put on the chapter, listening to it, listen to it again. It's the pure milk of his word. Is it getting into your soul so that you're growing up into salvation? This is what changes us as we're reminded of who we are now in Jesus. I want to kind of give you a case study this morning. I, I heard this week that, um, anybody hear that the, the um, parkway was changed? The Montrose Parkway changed its name this week. Anybody hear that story? And it, they changed the name to Josiah Henson. And they just said, you know, he's this famous abolitionist. And I'm like, I've never even heard of him. You know, I've lived in, Mo in Montgomery County a long time, never heard of him. And I remember years ago, I had lunch with a black pastor right up the street, and he was telling me, I'm telling you, Uncle Tom's cabin is down in North Bethesda. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Why don't you take me there? Because I didn't believe him. We never did go. But here's the story. Josiah Henson, okay, he lived in the in late 1700s through the early 1800s. He, he wrote his book in uh, 1849, okay? And Harriet Beecher Stowe read his true biography, and it's an account of his life, of growing up. He was in Charles County, and then he comes over, and he's mainly in Montgomery County, and he's mainly on a plantation. 
and he's mainly on a plantation in Rockville, okay? And when you're on the Montrose Parkway, that's the plantation of which uh, Josiah Henson lived and, and grew up. And uh, anyway, she reads the story of his life. She writes Uncle Tom's Cabin about him, or that kind of inspired by that, her, even though her story is uh, fictitious. It was inspired by his life. And so there is a house on Old Georgetown Road that is considered Uncle Tom's Cabin, even though it's not literally Uncle Tom's Cabin. Okay, so here's the story about him. So Josiah um, Henson, his, you can get his biography for a big whopping 99 cents on Kindle, and it's an excellent read, not finished yet. But I want to tell you about his conversion because I was moved greatly by it, and I think it captures this idea of what, what does it look like to be born again. So here is this, this is 200 years ago. So just go back in time, 200 years, that's right around his conversion in Rockville, okay? And he says, I remember being torn from a dear and affectionate mother. I saw her tears, I heard her groans, I remember all the particulars. From a little boy, I have remembered my mother. I remember what the prayers of my dear mother were. I heard her pray for me. She was a good Christian woman before I was born, and thank God I was born of a good Christian mother, a mother whose prayers fell on my ear. Of all earthly blessings, there's none can approach to a good mother. I remember her entreaties. I remember her prayers to God for me. Blessed is the child, the son or daughter, that has the prayers of a mother. I remember well the feeling that those prayers wrought upon my heart, though I was but a boy." And so he was torn from his mother when he was very young. And they're actually, he's got an amazing mother. She wanted him back, even though they kicked her to the curb when she was screaming for her kid. But she tells him she wants him to hear this preacher named John McKinney. And he doesn't want to go because he's got to ask his master. And he knows if he asks his master, he's going to get beat just for asking. But he asks anyway because she started to shed a tear. You've got to hear John McKinney preach. So he risks it and he asks for permission to go hear John McKinney preach. And there, here's what happens. So he, the master lets him go. And he said, my, my heart exalts with a gratitude when I mentioned the name of a good man who first taught me the blessedness of religion. His name was John McKinney. He lived at Georgetown, a few miles only from Riley's plantation. His business was that of a baker, and his character was that of an upright, benevolent Christian. He was noted especially for his de detestation of slavery and his resolute avoidance of the employment of slave labor in his business. He would not even hire a slave, the price of whose toil must be paid to his master, but contented himself with the work of his own hands and with such free labor as he could pro procure." His reputation was high, not only for this almost singular abstinence from what no one about him thought wrong, but for his general uh, probity, which I had to look that word up. It basically means scruples or moral conscience, and excellent. This man occasionally served as the minister of the gospel, preached it in a neighborhood where preachers were somewhat rare in that period. And one Sunday, he was, he was to officiate in this place at a, at a place three or four miles distant. My mom urged me to ask my master's permission to go and hear him. I had so often been beaten for making such a request that I refused to make it. Well, I went to the meeting. I heard the preacher, but I couldn't see him. I went around the house, I could hear him, and at last I got to the front of the door. I saw him with his hands raised, looking up to heaven, and he said with emphasis, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, tasted death for every man, for the high, for the low, for the rich, for the poor, the bond, the free, the negro in his chains, the man in gold and, <clears throat> and diamonds. 
His heart was filled with the love of Christ. And by the power of the Spirit of God, he preached a universal salvation through Jesus Christ. I stood and heard it. It touched my heart. And I cried out, I wonder if Jesus Christ died for me. And then I wondered, what could have induced him to die for me? I was then 18 years old. I'd never heard a sermon or any conversation whatsoever upon religious topic except what I'd heard from my mother on the responsibility of all to a supreme being. This was Hebrews 2.9, the first text of the Bible to which I had ever listened, knowing it to be such. I have never forgotten it, and scarcely a day has passed since in which I have not recalled it, and the sermon that was preached from it, the divine character of Jesus Christ, his tender love for mankind, his forgiving spirit, his compassion for the outcast and despised, his cruel crucifixion and glorious ascension. We were all depicted, and some of the points were dwelt on with great power, great at least to me, who then heard of these things for the first time in my life. Again and again did the preacher reiterate the words, For every man, these glad tidings, this salvation, were not for the benefit of a select few only. They were for the slave as well as the master, the poor as well as the rich, for the persecuted, distressed, the heavy laden, the captive, even for me among the the, the rest, a poor, despised, abused creature deemed by others fit for nothing but unrequited toil, but mental and bodily degradation. Of this blessedness and sweetness of feeling that I was loved, I would have died that moment with joy and I kept repeating to myself the compassionate Savior about whom I have heard loves me. He looks down in compassion from heaven on me. He died to save my soul and he'll welcome me to the, sky, to the skies. I was transported with delicious joy. <clears throat> it seemed to me, I seemed to see a glorious being and a cloud of splendor smiling down from on high in sharp contrast with the experience I had felt of the contempt and brutality of my earthly master. I basked, as it were, in the benign smiles of this heavenly being. I thought he'll be my clear refuge. He'll wipe, he'll wipe, any, he'll wipe any all tears from my eyes. Now I can bear all things. Nothing will seem hard after this. And so he's born again. But look what it does to him. I felt sure that if Massa Riley only knew him, he, could live, he would not live such a coarse, wicked, cruel life. Swallowed up in the beauty of the divine love, I love my enemies and prayed for them that did despitefully use and entreat me. Revolving the things <clears throat> which I have heard in my mind as I went home, I became so excited that I turned aside from the road into the woods and prayed to God for light and for aid with an earnestness which, however unenlightened, was at least sincere and heartfelt and with <clears throat> which the subsequent course of my life has led me to imagine was acceptable to him who heareth prayer. And he goes on and describes um, how he begins to start preaching. And so what you're not going to hear, I mean, the well, reason I wanted to share this with you is I think it's a beautiful story of tasting this delicious joy, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Had the lights come on like that for you where you have experienced the grace of God and it's been palpable, tangible, heartwarming and so changed you and now his view towards people that were his enemies are now completely different. And I hope that as we drive down the Montrose Parkway, which is going to be changed to the Josiah Henson Parkway, that you would remember Hebrews 2.9, the sermon and text that changed his life, which says, but we see him, Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, 
so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would be captivated with your glory, that we would see what you've done afresh, that it would melt our hard hearts, that it would melt the ice that we have towards others or any smoldering resentment or bitterness, that you would change our hearts and fill them with love as you have so loved us, set your affection upon us and bought us with your precious blood, brought us into this new family of God. And we pray that we grow up together. We ask that you'd have your mercy upon us, do a fresh work in us and through us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.